reading from Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, It's a really good chapter and uh, I'm sure that we'll learn much from it. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for in so doing some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honourably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Good morning again. 
Uh, please keep your Bibles uh, open to page uh, 1877 or on your devices or however else, because uh, I will be a, uh, drawing our attention there as we go through, uh, because as I was trying to tell our students uh, in Namibia, I should say Namibia, Southwest Africa, just above South Africa on the left-hand side, that's, that's where it is, so I should have said that before. But as we uh, often tell our students, they don't need to hear from me. Just like today, you don't need to hear from me. Uh, we all need to hear from God speak to us through his word. Okay, so that's what we want to uh, hear and submit to. Uh, so keep your Bibles open. Uh, there is an outline uh, where we're heading, if you find that helpful. If you don't find it helpful, obviously, uh, just ignore it. Uh, but above all, please do pray that actually God would be speaking to us all through his word this morning. Uh, loving Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a speaking God. Uh, you created the world when you spoke. You give us new life through the proclamation of the gospel. And so, Lord, we pray and we thank you that you have given us your word, that we might know you and that we might know ourselves from your perspective. So, Lord, in the power of your spirit, please uh, open your word to us that we may hear and know and live for your glory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, I think one of the saddest things that we saw when we were in Namibia uh, was when people would fall away from Christ. And we actually saw more of it than what we would have liked. I think the saddest situation of all uh, was with Pastor Manasseh. If I can get the next slide up. Uh, sorry, the one with the... Yep, there. Now, Manasseh uh, was a final year student a couple of years ago, and he's in this picture. And Manasseh's not his name. We're just going to call him that. But he was someone uh, who graduated from our college... Uh, in 2016, and has since turned from Christ. See, Manasseh it was a Herero man. That means he's a cattle man, he's a proud Namibian. But like most Herero people in Namibia, he grew up thinking that Christians were wicked, weak, and evil. See, he wanted to be a powerful African Herero man, and so when he was at high school, he sought out the most expensive and best witch doctors that he could find, and he paid them a lot of money to put curses on him so that he could have a successful Herero life with lots of cattle. Now, over time, as things went on, Manasseh realized that things were not quite going to plan, and he started to see things and experience things that terrified him. He said that he always knew it was from evil spirits that he was seeking this power, but he did it anyway. But he came to a point where he was just fearful of his life. And then someone one day told him about Jesus, how Jesus has conquered sin, death, and the devil. And Manasseh turned to Christ to save him from the evil one. And I've got to tell you, from that point on, Manasseh was the perfect convert. He's the, the kind of person that missionaries love to write home about in their prayer updates. You know, hey, praise God for this guy. He's wonderful. He's, he's a charismatic. Everyone loved him. 
He was quickly made uh, an associate pastor at a large Pentecostal church. He was given a scholarship to come and study at our Bible college. He finished a bachelor's degree. He was one of the most loved students. But then when he finished his studies at Nets, he decided that, like all Herero men, he wanted to establish a herd of cattle for himself out in his home village. Now, he thought that by doing that, he could support his ministry and support his family, but also it was kind of a a thing to do if you are a Herero man. The only thing is that when he moved back to his ancestral village, he was going back and living amongst a community that utterly despised him for turning his back on his traditions and for becoming a Christian. He'd gone back into the midst of a culture that says that Christianity is the is antithetical to everything that it means to be Herero. See, Manasseh had brought shame on his family. He'd rejected their customs. Worst of all, he'd married a non-Herero girl. And so, as he rejected them, they rejected him and scorned and despised him in ways that are hard for us to understand. But increasingly, as he was living there, he found it hard to keep being the outsider where he had formerly been on the inside with his community. So more and more, he just tried to fit in. Initially, he started drinking with all the other Herero cattlemen. He stopped visiting the city where his family was. And at one point, when a local Herero woman came up to him and demanded from him what she regards as her Herero rights, he, com- he started a sexual relationship with her. And from that point, he was back in the Herero culture and the Herero community. Now, I've got to say, it's, life is hard for Herero believers in Namibia. The ethics of their community are pretty extreme. Uh, culturally, a Herero woman can demand sex from any of her male cousins as her right. And what's more, uh, a single woman with many children is seen as more desirable than not because she's proven her worth to a prospective husband. Uh, effectively, in that culture, she has proven herself to be a good cattle. But at the heart of all of their community traditions is witchcraft and ancestor worship. It's at the center of all of it. See, Manasseh had turned his back on all of that to follow Jesus, but in so doing, he had brought disgrace on them and they rejected him. And ultimately, it was his desire to be welcomed back into the community that led him to turn away from Christ. So I think Manasseh was living with what we might call an extreme case of buyer's regret. You know how you see an ad for you know the latest iPhone 58, XR, S, whatever it is. You think, oh, if I get that, my life will somehow be better. And then you get it and you realize it's a phone and you're just now poorer. Okay, And you go, oh, I didn't really need that, did I? 
See, Manasseh thought that by turning to Christ, it would make his life safer and easier and better. It's like he'd traded one set of spiritual power to get to give him what he wants for a higher spiritual power that could still give him what he wants. But it didn't turn out like he planned, and so he he resented it. He regretted it. And so eventually it led him to turn his back on Jesus and go back to his culture. See, the book of Hebrews is written to people just like Manasseh. Actually, just like us. It's written for people like me and for the Bible college students that we teach. Because life serving Jesus doesn't always turn out like we hope, does it? In fact, sometimes there are costs to following Jesus that we don't like. Sometimes we get put out of our communities more than we would want, and we find that tension hard. See, the, the, those to whom Hebrews was originally written, they were tempted to go back to the temple worship, back to Judaism. But it wasn't just about the religious ceremony, it was about the community that they had been put out of. And I think for us, that's one of the challenges that we are increasingly facing as we follow Jesus we're finding ourselves more and more at odds with our communities. So as we look at Hebrews 13, I think we see that the church right throughout the world is always going to have to wrestle with the same kind of struggles that Manasseh had. So the first of two points I want to make today is that the future of gospel mission must always necessarily involve a costly love. See, gospel mission in Africa and Australia, it necessarily calls people to live a life of costly love. But it's costly both in that we're called to live like Jesus in a costly way, but more than that, we're called to love Jesus even when it costs us in our communities. See, look with me from verses 1 to 3. It says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing, so doing, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Can you see the, the progress here? Uh, it's church, you know, brothers and sisters, yeah, love each other. You do, you do that, right? You got to nod because Carl's here, okay? Like, you love each other, yeah, okay, great. That, that, that's not too hard, is it? Okay? Uh, show hospitality to strangers. Uh, literally, love the outsiders, love the foreigners. That, that's what the word means. Uh, that's a bit harder, isn't it? Okay? Uh, we like each other here, but th- those other people, they're different. We've got to love them too. Look at verse 3, and remember the prisoners and the outcasts as if you were suffering with them. Is that what we naturally want to do? See, when you see someone uh, at work or wherever, and you see them being criticized for being a Christian, maybe on TV they're being mocked for being a Christian, you're, what's your first response? I'm <laughs> glad it's not me. Isn't that, isn't that how we respond? We distance ourselves from those that are suffering for their faith. But verse 3 says, well, don't just love each other at church. 
love the outsiders, but also those who are giving a, getting a hard time for being a Christian, stand with them as if you yourself were with them. See how love is getting a bit harder as you go down. So I think this is the part of the key to mission in the book of Hebrews. See, the mission of the church is to make disciples who love like Jesus in a cross-shaped love, not a world-shaped love, but also we're to make disciples who love Jesus even when the world doesn't like it, even when we have to suffer for it. Now, why would the world not like it? Not like Christian love? Like, we're always told that love is love, yeah? So why would people not like Christian love? Well, it goes on, and it says here that we're called to love in a way that's different to the world, in a, a holy love, with a holy attitude to things like, well, just as an example, sex and money. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. You see how Christian love here is the opposite of worldly love. It's not a lusting after what you don't have, it's a being content with what you do have in Christ. But note, it's not being content with the stuff that you have at home or the stuff that you have in your pocket. It's not saying be content with your old iPhone rather than getting a new one. It's saying don't try and put your contentment in the things that you have. Because what does verse 5 says? It's, the reason is because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we're called to be content with what we have in Christ, not in this world. So verse 6 says, so with confidence we say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? What can mere mortals do to you? Can mere mortals still steal your old phone just as easily as a new phone? Of course, and in Namibia, it doesn't matter how new your phone is, someone will want to steal it and they will sell it for the same amount because they, they know that they really only want a pack of cigarettes. Okay, It doesn't matter if it's new or old, to them it's a pack of cigarettes. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we're staying in a, in a, a little unit in town, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we'd been borrowing like a, a 35-year-old 10-speed racer bike from someone just so that I could ride around town. It was locked up behind our front little gate on Hurdle Square. Someone in the night jumped the fence, stole a 35-year-old rusty bike. Like, like why? It, it doesn't matter, you know, whether it's new or old. Mortals can do stuff. See, can mere mortals mock you or tease you or give you a hard time for going to church or for trusting Jesus? Can they? So I'm used to Namibia where I ask questions and I get an, Amen! Yeah, it's... Uh, so uh, the more you do that, it's going to make me feel at home. Uh, can they? Can they mock you? Yeah, they can. And I think increasingly they will. But can mere mortals separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? No, of course not. Of course not. 
So we can be content with what we have in Christ, not with our new stuff or with our old stuff, but with him. So I've got to say, I think the church in Southern Africa does need to stop loving Jesus just because they think he will give them what they want. But I think too often the church in Australia needs to stop loving Jesus just because we think he will give us what we want. Now, we need to love Christ even though it is and it will increasingly be difficult to do so because we need to remember what we already have in him. Second thing I just want to note here is that when it comes to mission in the world today, I think the second thing that chapter 13 tells us is that the future of gospel mission must be to prepare disciples who don't get carried away by what the world tells them they should be doing with their lives. Actually, this is why what Carl said about the number 15 before is so important. Because as as people go from primary school to high school, that's when the voices of the world become so powerful, okay? The mission of the church is to make disciples who don't get carried away by what the world tells us we should be doing with our lives, but rather we take our lives to Jesus in worship. Now, verses uh, 7 to 17 There's a lot of ideas in here that are a bit foreign to us who don't live with the temple system in Jerusalem. I'm not going to go through all of it, but I want you to see that verse 7 to 17 is structured around uh, the idea of how you relate to your leaders. So verse 7 says, remember your leaders, and verse 17 says, obey your leaders. But in between verses 7 and 17, there's a, a great little play on words here that really shows us what the, 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 the guts of the message really is, okay? The basic message from verse 7 to 17 is this. Either you will be carried away by the world's lies, or you will carry yourself to Jesus in worship of him. That's the only options we have as followers of Jesus. Either we will be carried away by what the world tells us, or we will carry ourselves to Jesus, no matter what the world says. And we see that with this play on the word carry. So verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, as an aside, when do you know what the outcome of a running race is? When? At the end wasn't so with the grand final this year in the AFL. You you knew that from the first quarter. But generally speaking, the idea of an outcome is what happens at the end, okay? So here, I think, we're being told to remember the the outcome of the leaders who have faithfully served Christ in the hard times. And for the Hebrews, that was leaders who actually gave their whole lives for Christ. So saying, remember them, Okay? Now, remember Carl. Carl's great, okay? Uh, thankfully, we don't know the outcome of his life. We trust it will be a, a, a life honouring Christ and a death that honours Christ. But just as in verse 8 there, it just links in and says, you know, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Here's the framework that we're to understand what it means to live for him, just like our leaders did. What was the outcome of Christ's faith? He was crucified. What was the outcome of their leader's faith? A Christ-honoring death, okay? Things are hard. This is serious. So remember what's come before. Don't think that, you know, it was hard for the previous generation, but now it's all, you know, rainbows and unicorns and lollipops for us. But verse 9 then, the first play on word, it says, don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teaching. Rather be strengthened by what? By grace. So it's, uh, not by the food. You know, Manasseh, part of what he missed was being involved in the fellowship meals around a campfire where the fire was for worshipping the ancestors. Okay? Don't be carried away by what the culture's doing in terms of its religiosity, okay? Because, because what? Oh, and I'll come to that. So, verse 11, it says, uh, the high priest does something. What, What does the high priest carry? He carries the blood of animals into the sanctuary, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. So, Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make us holy. Let us go to him, therefore, outside the camp, again, bearing, or it's the same word, carrying the disgrace he bore. Can you see the the, the play on words here? Don't be carried away by what others tell you. Don't be carried away by what the, the high priest is carrying into the earthly tabernacle, because Jesus has actually gone to heaven, so we have a better access, a better access than what they had. So so don't worry about what they're doing here or by the meals that they're sharing around. No, let us go outside the camp to Jesus, carrying the disgrace that he bore. In verse 15 then it says, thus through Jesus let us continually offer, literally again, carry up to God a sacrifice of praise. Can you just see how, in the framework that the Hebrews would have understood, the essential idea is this. Don't be carried away by what the world tells you. Rather, carry yourself to Jesus. In fact, carry the rejection and the disgrace that he himself bore as an offer of worship. Friends, the next time people throw mud at you or hurl dirt at you and you just don't want to carry, it's it's just... We can be tempted to say, I, I don't want this. I want to be back in my community. But it's like if, when the world throws dirt and mud at us and we, we're holding it, we're either tempted to try and get rid of it ourselves or we can carry it to Jesus. And as we go to him, he accepts it as if it was an offering of pure gold, carrying the same disgrace that he bore. So you don't be carried away by what the world says or by what they throw at you. Rather, just keep going to Jesus, carrying what the world throws at you as an offering of worship to him. See, the future of gospel mission in Africa and in Australia will look like disciples who follow leaders who actually follow a crucified Lord. People who love Jesus more than the world. People who are not carried away by what this world or by what our cultures tell us. 
And I must say, at the moment, too much of church life in Southern Africa looks like disciples of Jesus following powerful and successful-looking church leaders who are promising them great wealth and success if they just stay within their church. And so what you get is you get a lot of actual followers of Jesus who become crushed and disheartened when life is hard and they turn away from Christ. See, a great work of evangelism has happened throughout Africa over this past century. There are some of your members here who have been actively involved in that on the ground for many years. There are many, 58% of all people in sub-Saharan Africa today identify as Christian. But sadly, there's not a lot of mature disciples who can yet weather the storms and the criticism thrown at them from this world. The future hope of mission in Africa is the same as the future hope of mission here in Australia. We need trained leaders that we can follow that we can remember, that will lead us to love Jesus more than the world. I I keep thinking of that number 15. Having someone that can actually lead the youth to do that is critical because we are tempted by what the world says. We do find it hard and we need leaders who can help us to carry our lives back to Jesus. Now, I began with a pretty depressing story. Sorry about that. But the reality is, the kind of challenges that Manasseh faced in the Herero culture are pretty common amongst all of the Namibian cultures. The Herero culture is actually not a particularly special case. But thankfully, most of the students that we've been involved in training They experience the same challenges, but they don't turn away. They turn to Christ. Up here, I've got another picture. Just zoom in again. Uh, This is Anton. Two more slides. Yep, there we go. Thank you. Uh, Anton uh, was from the same graduating class as Manasseh. But before Anton came to study with us, in Namibia. Uh, He was involved in leading one of the largest prosperity gospel churches in Namibia, uh, based in the informal settlements out here, kind of a tin shacks kind of part of town, but still a very thriving, prosperous, and Anton was involved in telling people in his churches that if they just had more faith, uh, God would bless them and get them out of poverty and, you know, blah, blah, blah. For 12 years, Anton was leading, was one of the main leaders of this large network of churches like that. But eventually, as Anton read the Bible, he was convicted that what he was doing was wrong. And so he just quietly resigned and respectfully told his senior pastor why it was that he had to leave that ministry. What do you think happened then? Well, from that point, Anton's boss publicly rejected him at all of the congregations of that. You know, it'd be like Paul Harrington coming and denouncing someone at everywhere. Uh, this 
his boss uh, told everyone in these churches that Anton was cursed by God and that they couldn't have anything to do with him or else they would catch the curse. So Anton lost a lot of friends through that. When he came to study with us at Nets, he had people would just come up to him in the streets because he still lived there. He was they would come up to him in the streets and they would tell him that they are watching him to see how God is going to crush him. They're looking to see him fall. And then when Anton graduated in 2016, how hard do you think it was for him to find a ministry position? So for 18 months, he had people coming up to him in the streets saying, See, we told you, God is against you. What would you do in that situation? How would you feel if your whole community was piling on you, telling you that God has rejected you because you keep holding on to the grace of Jesus? Well, what Anton did is he just kept loving those people. He kept telling them about Jesus. He was often at our house, often in tears, but he just wanted those people to know the freedom of the gospel of grace. So he kept loving them and he humbly kept pointing them to Jesus. Now, on our last day at Nets, the Bible college where we were, The very last day, Anton came up to us and told us that he's just been appointed as the senior minister of a gospel-centered Pentecostal church plant in the main capital of Namibia. And yes, there were more tears, mostly from me. I was so thankful because Anton is the kind of leader who loves Jesus more than the world. He's the kind of leader that when the world throws things at him, he just humbly takes it to Jesus as an offering of worship. Friends, the future hope of gospel ministry in Australia and overseas is that God would raise up godly leaders like Anton. But more than that, that we would be the disciples of Christ who love Jesus more than the world. That we would actually when the world throws things at us, that we would just take it to Jesus as an act of worship. Friends, we need to remember that one day, as we're reminded in this passage, God will judge. He's gracious and he's merciful and he has provided Christ that we don't need to face that judgment on ourselves. So we need to remember all that we have in Christ find our contentment in that. We need to remember that we will be teased and poked and rejected and considered foolish. But when we are, we need to take that to Jesus as an offering of worship. Friends, as you live for Christ in this community, can I just encourage you to just keep going to Jesus. Keep trusting Him. It will be hard but he will save a people for himself and for his glory as we just keep trusting him. And remember the number 15. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you that it is your desire to grow mature disciples of Christ that know you, our loving Heavenly Father, 
who know you in Jesus, our precious Savior, who has brought us already and given us access now to heaven. Thank you that you hear because of Christ and you act because we come to you in his name and through his blood. Lord, we know that this world is hard, whether it be in Africa or Australia or anywhere. We know that societies and cultures that don't know you uh, give your believers, give your followers a hard time. Lord, help us to be willing to love Jesus more than the world. Help us to keep turning to Jesus no matter what the world says or does. And thank you that this is not something that we just do stoically, but we do it knowing of all that we have in you, that we can be content that you are our loving Heavenly Father, that we have eternal life both now and forever. So help us to live as your children as we seek to make you known, as we seek to bring others to know you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.